Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation that we get to have with amazing people doing incredible things. And I just am grateful for each and every one of you out there who take the time to listen and engage with this conversation that I get to have with my brother, Paul Jobson. I am your host, Phil Dark. And today we have an old friend of Paul's. Paul, are you excited for this? Man, I'm, I'm stoked. You know, we always talk about how small the soccer world is, and I'm always excited when I can get somebody on that I've known for a long time and uh, not just respect as a coach, but as a human being. And so I'm excited to talk to, to, to Kevin today and kind of lean in to his story a little bit. And uh, yeah, so man, I'm, I'm stoked. So I'm pumped we got him on here. But uh, how, how are things you, Phil? What's going on, on out in California? I mean, weather here is great, you know, but how about out there where you are? <laughs> I, I am, I'm stoked that you still use stoked because I use stoked too. And a lot of people don't. So that, that's, that's pretty much what I got going on. You know, I know people don't use those old things, you know, and you, you talk about having friends and I always kind of doubt, doubt it until I meet them and they actually do affirm the fact that you're friends with them. So that's, that's exciting for me that we get to, well, we'll see what Kevin really says when we get into it today. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. No, life is good out here. We got a lot of cool stuff going on. You know, year end is always a crazy, fun, exciting time going to go to SoCal for soccer with Thanksgiving uh, Surf Cup. So that's that's fun to be able to do that because my dad lives down there. So, you know, get to spend time with him. It's always tough, you know, with my mom passing away a couple of years ago. Holidays are always difficult because she made them so special. But to be able to just just have good memories about all that is 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 really is really cool. So I know that this, this year will be no different than that. And I'm excited to get into it. But today we do have Kevin O'Brien. He is the head coach of Lipscomb University out there in Nashville, Tennessee, just a few miles south of where I spent a few years there at law school at Vanderbilt. And I actually had the pleasure of watching one. I'm assuming it was one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting game of the season where they went down 2-0 and then ended up winning 3-2 in the last two, I think it was two seconds before the buzzer. So Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we are always excited to have our friends on and I, I hopefully can consider you a friend. We met briefly, but since I'm going to piggyback on Paul's friendship and say we're good friends, because that's just what I do. Uh, hopefully we will actually be able to back that up in the future. But until then, we get to have a great conversation today. And, um, you know, we always love just talking to our guests about their story. Um, it's always one of my favorite parts of the of the episodes. And just including how you, if you could just share your story, how you developed your passion for soccer, for leadership, and how you did end up coaching at Lipscomb. You had a lot of stops along the way. Yeah, a whole lot of stops. Well, um, you know, the passion came early, you know, like a lot of us, you know, you, you play the game at, at four or five years old and yeah, you just fall in love with it. Uh, I had two older brothers that I'd, I'd chase around the yard uh, and they were involved in the game too. And, you know, for me, it was just something that we did. It was, you know, the, the day and age when you didn't have video games to occupy your time. So you were always out on a field, whether it was a soccer field or a baseball field, didn't really matter. But But soccer was the sport of our family and yeah, just got into it. And and shortly after, probably eight, nine years old, once we kind of moved out of the rec leagues, realized I was pretty good at it and uh, got involved with a great club in Atlanta that's still uh, around called Concord. And, you know, they're producing great players to this day, but I was able to get involved at a high level team there, go off, played at a, uh, got a scholarship to the College of Charleston in South Carolina. Uh, after that, got drafted to play uh, in the USL. Uh, that was pre-MLS days. And then uh, the passion just continued into coaching. So after five stops on the journey, uh, I've landed here in, in Nashville at a, a perfect school for, for me and who I am as I just, my, my family, my character, it's, it's a perfect fit. And, uh, yeah, just loving coaching here and loving every minute of it. Yeah, no doubt. We'll get into all that. We'll get into, um, you know, your time when that, which stop of that was the stop that you got to meet the legend and that, uh, I get to co-host this podcast with, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But one of the things that I 
you know, it's, it's a, it was a, it was a question that my daughter and I had, cause we just visited Yellowstone and we talked about the bison, but then we see that Lipscomb is the bison's. And so I actually did a little Google search and found out it can be either, which was one of the shocking things for me. And so that's something that I learned when I visited Lipscomb. So did that, was that a similar thing for you or did you just go with it? I, I went with it. Uh, I've had many people tell me that it is grammatically incorrect. And I'm like, hey, above my pay grade, you can talk to someone else about that. I will, <laughs> I'll coach them with an ass or without. That's right. That's right. You are not going to discriminate. I appreciate that. I, I do appreciate that about you. All right. Yeah, that was, that was something that was funny. But, you know, it's the little things. It's the little things. It is it is grammatically correct. It's both. I, I you know, that I discovered that the Internet is at least the Internet said it. So it's got to be true. Right, Paul? I think so. And I, it probably what happened is, you know, it maybe at one point wasn't grammatically correct, but someone fought really, really hard to make it grammatically correct. So now we can live in the world. We just kind of change the rules as we go. But I know be. nothing about the English language other than I can speak it and sound somewhat like I know what I'm talking about. So, you know, I probably wouldn't have even noticed uh, at all. So, yeah. you know, I probably say gooses, you know, I don't know. That could be me. But we'll get more into bison and bisons, I'm sure, later because we're going to really more dive important in. things. Hopefully, we'll dive we'll have into more Obi's story here a little bit more. But, Obi, before we get into to, to more things, you know, we'd love to know from our guests, like, kind of what, what makes you, which, what makes you take, what makes you do what you do? What is, what is your personal, why life purpose and and how are you living that out yeah so um my why ultimately is uh, i'm a man of faith so uh to, to know god and make god known in, in the end that's the heart behind uh, why i coach and ultimately why i ended up at lipscomb because i had been at uh, quite a few fantastic universities non-faith-based universities and I had a moment uh in my career where i was recruiting uh, on this uh some fields in Dallas, Texas, and a good buddy of mine, Kelly Finley, who coached at that point in time was at NC State. We were just sitting on a sideline together talking, you know, soccer, talking life. And a, a friend of ours, Carla Samuano, had just won a national championship at UNC Chapel Hill. And I looked over to Kelly and I said, Kelly, you know, if we polled 10,000 people on the streets of Dallas, how many people would know Carlos Samuano? And uh, he, he didn't take a whole lot of time to think about it. He said, not that many. And I said, yeah, I'm like, what are we chasing after? Here's a guy that just reached the pinnacle of our sport. We won a D1 national championship at men's soccer at UNC Chapel Hill. Yet no one on the streets of Dallas would know him. I mean, we're the, the, the six, you know, if you look at the American sports landscape, we're like the sixth most important sport. And I just felt at that point in time, God calling me to, to something greater than just coaching uh, to, to work my way up that soccer coaching ladder and to have a little bit more, yeah, purpose and influence and significance behind why I was coaching. And, uh, yeah. And I said that set me off on a journey that ultimately led to where I am today. And, uh, boy, am I glad I'm, I've landed where I have, cause it's a perfect fit. Yeah, to, to dive into that just a little bit more, Kevin, like, you know, there are a lot of coaches that, that I know, and you and I both know, that is their ultimate goal is they want to win a national championship. And, and not that you don't, right? I mean, if you, if you don't, then, you know, hey, we're striving, we're always trying to get better, we're always want to do, but, but what is it ultimately that you're, that you're wanting to do on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, we all want to win championships, we all want to win, but that's not the ultimate goal. What is the ultimate goal for you day in and day out as you're guiding your program? Yeah, so we, 1 Corinthians 10.31 uh, is kind of a theme verse for our program. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So we talk to our players a lot about it doesn't matter uh, if you're on a soccer field, if you're in a classroom, if you're around town, if we're traveling in a hotel, all of these are opportunities to represent the Lord. And uh, again, at, at Lipscomb, at a faith-based school, I get to kind of go deeper relationally with our players than maybe a lot of coaches could at at their university. So, you know, we we set that as our kind of guiding light that, hey, that's that's who we want to be as a, as a program. That's who we want our players to be. We mess up constantly, right? We're going to uh, we're going to screw up left, right and center. But there's a ton of grace when when the players mess up from the coaches and when the coaches mess up, mess up from the players. And it, it really creates a, a, an environment where unlike a lot of Division One environments that are very, very cutthroat winning, it's all about results. Uh, the girls can play in freedom. Uh, they can play in joy. They can love the game that they grew up loving and 
uh, and do it at a pretty high level. So, you know, that that's kind of what makes us tick here in our program. Yeah, I love that. And you and I've had plenty of conversations over the years and, and we're very similar. We've had, you know, by coach at a Christian university for a long time too at Baylor. And just to be able to have those kind of conversations with your players of what, you know, what you're really getting after, you know, and, and, and if you are working for the right things, then, you know, God can take care of the results however he wants to. And, and as long as you've given your best and, 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 and taken advantage of the abilities that God's given you, right. And, and use them to, to your best ability to showcase his glory, then a lot can happen from that. And I just, I love that. I know we're, I, I know you don't just say that's, that's purely what your program is about. And I, and I feel as an outsider, why you've had success is because you really do get to dive deep into what kids are about and what, what passions God has given them. And, and probably we'll probably talk, I know we'll talk more about leadership later. And I want to dive into Phil too, just how we navigate the leadership purposes uh, of some of that. So I love, I love that. Yeah. You know, and I love too, that you were having that conversation with Kelly Finley, who's now at Liberty as well, presumably doing the things you guys were talking about there in Dallas, as you are in Lipscomb, he's able to do that at Liberty. Uh, I, I love, I love stories like that to see how God moves in different divine appointments as I, as I like to say. And yeah, so, you know, the, I, we will get into all these things a little bit deeper, but one of the things that I know most listeners right now are are absolutely thinking about, because we did mention that you coached Paul, and I, I imagine everyone's just wondering what it was like to coach the one and only Paul Jobs. Now, the thing is, you probably didn't know who he was going to be when you were coaching him, so that probably helped, because it wasn't that aura around him. But, you know, you did coach him at Presbyterian back way back in the 90s. I mean, if you can remember that long ago, what was it like to coach this this legendary figure? Yeah, no, he didn't have the same then. He was a, he was a humble yeah. young soccer player at that point in time. You know, that was my foot in the door job. I was uh, actually I was younger than some of the guys on the team. So <laughs> I was, if I'm being honest, I was a glorified cone mover uh, for the head coach, yeah. a guy named yeah. Ralph. Uh, Ralph was a phenomenal coach. So I, you know, I just kind of was a sponge. You know, trying to learn from him, listen to him, and you know, I got to hop in when the numbers were were odd. I could make them even and. I could still play with the guys. So to be honest with you, I, I wasn't doing a whole lot of coaching of Paul. I was probably tackling him more than anything else. Yeah, that's good. He probably needed it. He probably needed it. So with that, you know, and I love that because that's, that is typically the first coaching opportunity people get, you know, it's not common. You know, we had Marguerite Awazasa on earlier. It's not common that, you know, you go from one assistant job at Stanford to a head coaching job at UCLA. Like that's not the norm. Typically it's working like you said, probably a volunteer assistant for most people coming up, as you said, playing with them as much as coaching, doing little things for coaches to, to learn. So what were some lessons that you learned working up the ranks of college coaching as you started Presbyterian and went on to different schools? You said some, some non-faith-based, some faith-based. What are some things that you learned working up the ranks that you'd love to pass on to some of the younger coaches out there with aspirations to coach in college and potentially head coach in college? Have an appetite to learn and uh, take a whole lot of notes is what I'd say, because there's not a stop along the way where not only that were the head coaches imparting wisdom, I was a part of staffs where I was, you know, the restricted earning coach under two full-time assistants and a head coach. And those full-time assistants had a world of, of knowledge that they could share with me. So you know, I have, I have books of sessions and, and, you know, notes of how coaches were dealing with players in those environments and, you know, some good, some bad, but in the end, that's how you learn. You know, you, you want to take the, the good from some coaches and, and even some of the bad, I, I was able to observe, you know, relationships within the coaching dynamic that weren't always healthy too. So you're like, man, I don't want to recreate that over an issue this small. And, you know, so Along the way, I just took tons of notes and uh, was really, really kind of put my head down, worked hard, did what they asked me to do, I, which is that's kind of how I learned from my my parents growing up. I think it's a, more of a challenge in today's day and age, because I think especially with the accessibility of games, you've got so many players that are watching games. They can watch YouTube videos. I think the modern player thinks they know a whole heck of a lot more than their coach knows. And it becomes a challenge where I kind of just put my head down and I, I listen to them as experts and 
you know, took notes and then ultimately developed my own philosophy and methodology as I got older and moved into kind of more influential positions within a staff and then ultimately as a head coach. I love that. I love that humility that you talk about there, that idea. And you, and you do see that. I've seen that with my high school players where they think they know more than the coaches as far as, you know, questioning why the coach does this or that or the other thing. And, and yeah, when I was growing up, that just never happened. Like that wasn't even a thought in my head. But I think today, whether it's YouTube, whether it's just the, the culture, whatever it may be, I, I love hearing that from you as you were even going into different coaching jobs and you'd been coaching and you did play, but to have that learning posture, that humble posture of, I, I don't know it and why would I know it? And so how can I learn it is by learning from these people. And you said, I mean, like Ralph Paulson, I mean, what a, what a legend of coaching and just a, a man of, of God and a man who, who is an incredible, incredible man. I know both of you have been impacted and tremendously from him. So what a tragedy it would have been if you were there just saying, I want to use this as a stepping stone. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to learn. And so often people do that. So I, yeah, I love that. Love that. Devin, one thing that I, that I kind of, my memory of, of the, the late nineties is, is hazy at times just cause I'm getting so old, I think. But one thing that I, that my memory pulls out is I just remember like you being the young guy that was, you were older than me, but you were still like within like we could have played together, you know, collegiately, but you were back. And I just really felt like, and now that I know, as well as I know Coach Polson too, I can look back and think about how much of an impact he probably had on you as a head coach. You came in with a ton of knowledge. You could still play. You could relate to us as guy, as the guys, right? Because Coach was older now. He seemed like an old man at the time. Now I'm like, man, he really wasn't that old when I played for him. <laughs> um, it, but but how was that being like the young guy where you're kind of bridging? Because I think I think this speaks well into a lot of young coaches who they're trying to bridge, bridge that gap of being close in age with the players, having that, but having that respect of the players, but but being able to bridge that gap between the authority figure and you know the guy that's basically the same age. You know, like what what do you think looking back on not just maybe your experience, but probably experience you've had with other assistants within your role. How do we help guide these young coaches as they're navigating that first transition point? I think you know what I'm talking about from like just coming out of college and entering into the, the college game. How do you best navigate that as an assistant, a young assistant? Yeah, obviously, if you have a playing pedigree yourself, it helps, right? That, that kind of gives you immediate credibility. But let's be honest, there are a lot of phenomenal young aspiring coaches that don't have that playing pedigree that's going to command respect. Um, I think in those environments, you, you basically, you work hard for the players and you let them know that you're willing to do whatever they need to help them develop in their game, going out early before a session, after a session, you know, helping them get reps, things like that. Again, and more of a service mindset, like, Hey, you're going to help those players become who they want to be because they have aspirations in their career in playing, just like you have aspirations in your career as coaching. So I think that's the best way, especially for a player without maybe the, the, the pedigree to gain and garner respect to the players on the team. And, and they're going to be so, hopefully they'll be very appreciative of your willingness to work for them and to help develop them as players. And, you know, that, that goes a long way in my opinion, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just, I do remember that, you know, specifically of like, we knew we we really liked you because you were close to our age. Of course, we loved Coach Polson. It was like we didn't like him, but seeing your respect for him also went a long way, right? And that that how you kind of honor the coach by being you know, a friend of ours, but also like very loyal to the coach of what he was trying to do, and you showing him respect made us even more respect him as a coach. And you kind of play that bridge a little bit at times, especially guys like me. I wasn't a I wasn't a big starter. I didn't play a ton. You know, I was a a, a small minute player. And those are, you know, those are big pieces as a player's development to see you know, great players come in and show respect for people and on, on all levels. You treated me the same way that you treated, you know, the, the, the older guys on the team that were the great starters. So I think that that goes a long way. And that's credit to credit to you and who you are as a coach. But I want to dive a little bit. You talked about kind of your playing career. I know you're at College of Charleston and went into play. I want to hear about, talk about your time with the, with the Charlotte Eagles, because I feel like that was probably a. You know, Marcy spent a little bit of time with the Eagles. That's how she, you know, small soccer world, she knows your wife. And and that I think that's how we kind of reconnected along the way. It was like 
Marcy and Shannon had played together. And then I'm like, she's like, he, she, she married this guy named Kevin O'Brien. I'm like, no, nah, no, she didn't. And uh, that's how we kind of came back around together, I think. But tell us about your time with the Charlotte Eagles, how it kind of impacted your game and who you are and then that relationship with Shannon and how you guys are navigating the soccer world and life together. Yeah, you know, that, that really transformed in terms of philosophy and kind of approach to coaching. It transformed me more than I'd maybe any other place that I'd been. And I had gone from Presbyterian to Creighton University, and that was a great... And we went to two elite eights and I worked for Brett Simon, one of the greatest coaches, yeah. you know, that the college industry had seen. Then after him, you know, went out to Oregon State, had a chance to kind of turn around a power five program out there. Back to UNC Charlotte, uh, working for Jeremy Gunn, who's gone on to kill it and win three national championships at Stanford. So uh, I, I had the opportunity to work under these phenomenal coaches. Having said that, Maybe the most phenomenal coach was a guy named Mark Steffens at the Charlotte Eagles. And he was phenomenal in a completely different way than the rest of the coaches were phenomenal. They were, they were tacticians. They were brilliant in terms of game planning, scheming, lineups, recruiting. Mark Steffens was the greatest at the human element of caring for his players. And that ultimately became for me a model of how I wanted to coach in the future. And uh, he he didn't have all the licenses. He didn't have all the pedigree that some of these other coaches that I worked under had. But what he had was a massive heart that cared for his players deeply. Didn't matter. Similar to your experience, Paul, didn't matter if you were uh, a starter or if you didn't play a second. Like he had time for you. And, and that just, it was unbelievable to be a part of that. And I got to be a part of it for multiple years, which I think was incredible because here you are not only learning from a great coach, but at that time I was, I was playing and I'm playing with 25 other guys that have huge hearts for the Lord. And they're all different, right? Like this guy's got this evangelistic spirit and is really great at sharing his faith while this guy is like a humble servant. He doesn't say a word, but boy, the way he serves his teammates and I was kind of, again, I, I've always been a sponge in life trying to learn from other people. But in that environment, I could see how God had made each and every guy totally different and unique and special uh, and was using them, kind of knit us all together into this team for a summer and uh, was able to use us in our own gifts uniquely. And it, it was unbelievable. And, and that's kind of, if I'm being honest, the model that I have here at Lipscomb is I, you know, I, I remember pitching the ad like we could have a viable sports ministry as a division one soccer program and he was crazy enough to be like wow that sounds cool and hired me so uh <laughs> and then it's worked it's worked out because the team's been successful and the lord's continued to to bring these wonderful young women into the program that want to be in it for more than soccer that want to have a platform far greater and and now we've been able to be both really competitive at a high division one level and glorifying God at the same time, which is ultimately all lessons learned in those summers in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, that's awesome. And did you, is that where you, did you meet Shannon there? Is that where you guys met? How did that relationship develop into really the, the partnership that you have? I mean, kind of like similar to, to Marcy and I, I mean, I couldn't do what I did without her. I feel like you probably have a similar relationship. Yeah, no, that, that's where we met. Uh, unbelievable. Cause we used to, the two teams, there was a men's team and a woman's team. And we would do some kind of sports ministry training, some worships and things like that together. And I just remember this, you know, cute little girl sitting on the front row who was really eager, ambitious, wanted to learn, wanted to grow. And uh, from afar, I kind of watched her, was just really impressed with who she was and her character. And, you know, by the end of that summer, we were, we started to date and, and spend time together, but, you know, similar passion. She, she loved the Lord and she loved soccer. And that's, those were my two greatest passions as well. So to find someone, you know, in that environment was, was perfect. I, we were one of many marriages that came from that, <laughs> that ministry and, you know, they're all thriving today, which is awesome. Yeah. I think the year that Marcy went to play, we had just started dating. And I think I got kind of nervous that she was going out there. Cause I had heard that about the Eagles ministry. I was like, Hey, I'm not sure you should go to Charlotte. Sounds like a really bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's awesome. And I, and I know that Shannon has served, served your players and other players at, at Lipscomb as well in that, in that capacity. And I just think that's an amazing, amazing, amazing ministry that you have as a, as a family. 
Thank you. Yeah, you know, and it's, uh, I don't know if this, this may be, nah, I'm sure that's happened before, but yeah, it's, it's fun to have, I don't know how it is in your, in your house, Kevin, but I know Marcy's way better than Paul ever was. And I know that's my wife is way better than I ever was. So I don't know if it's that's the way with you with Shannon, but, uh, it, it makes it fun. And I don't know if it's like it is in, in my house, but since I coach now and I do a lot of soccer stuff, my kids forget that their mom was a D one four year starter at a, you know, at a, at a very solid university. And I, I laugh at it and I'm like, yeah, your mom, you know, she, she hardly played. It was, I don't know. I don't know if she, <laughs> she'll tell you stories, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. a soccer guy. No, but I, I definitely do not say that. But yeah, it's kind of fun. It's kind of recorded, fun Bill. You know this is I know. being recorded. Becca doesn't listen. But... Marcy doesn't oh, listen either. Let's be no, honest. No, let's stuff. be honest. So hey, I, I will I will butt in and say yes, gentlemen. We all definitely uh, outpunted our coverage. And uh the same in the same way, my kids they do not respect their mom's soccer ability, although she played at the University of Arizona, was an absolute stud in the record books, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Moms get a, a raw deal. I, I don't know they why do. that happened. But uh, they definitely do. It's really funny. I think it could be because she's had four knee surgeries and can't really play anymore. But she tried playing and then sprained her ankle, was out for a year and a half. So she said, all right, I'm done. Uh, that's God telling me I'm supposed to finish. But, uh, but yeah, it's fun. It's fun to be able to do that. I think to be able to enjoy that, as you said, to be able to even I had a leadership team meeting the other day. And I know Paul was talking about how Shannon is a big part of your ministry with the, with the girls as well, which, you know, it, it makes sense. But I remember even just, we were coming back, my wife and I were coming back from a memorial and I said, Hey, you want to come to this leadership team meeting with me? And she hadn't been in coaching for a really long time. And she came into that meeting. She's like, can I add something? Can I add something? Can I add? And she was in, and I'm like, Hey, this is awesome. I, I was, I was so fired up after that conversation because to see that, impact she still has and the respect she can garner just from being able to play but the things that she knows that i never would know about playing as a female growing up in high school and college whenever it is that's so powerful to be able to do that to have a wife who supports that's great but have a wife who supports who actually experienced things that we never did that we're now coaching i imagine can you speak to that for a little bit yeah no i mean it's an incredible advantage because she has walked a mile in all of their shoes, right? These girls are coming into college scared. They don't know what they're getting themselves into. And to have someone, a mentor like Shannon, my wife, to, to be around the program as much as she is involved in their lives, helping them, you know, ultimately see that, hey, your identity in the end, it doesn't come from soccer. It doesn't matter if we win, lose, you score, don't score, start, don't start. Like all those things are, irre are irrelevant in that uh, your value is is much greater. So yeah, no, it's incredible. She probably a week doesn't go by where she doesn't give me some light bulb moment like, oh, wow, okay, that's what they're thinking? Because I'm a guy, right? Like when we don't ultimately uh, understand. Part of why I've staffed my staff with two incredible young women uh, on top of Shannon. So I've got three women who are helping guide the program kind of from you know, from a different vantage point. So yeah, incredibly thankful and grateful to have her wisdom attached to the program. And hopefully that continues for a long time. Yeah, I'm, I imagine it will. I imagine it will. All right. So we go, go back into your playing career way back when, you know, you're, I think you're the same age as me. So it's been a while. What was the defining moment in your soccer career as a player? Why was it so impactful? What'd you learn from it? How are you using that today? Yeah, probably my defining moment. So youth career was good. College career was good. Had a lot of success at the College of Charleston. It was probably my second year as a pro. I was playing with this team called the Charleston Battery. And again, we were in the USL, the, the MLS, I think just kicked off maybe a year or two after this season. So it wasn't even around yet. So at that point, it was, it was one of the higher levels that you could play in American soccer. But I remember we had a trip to Hershey, Pennsylvania. And, you know, I had been my first year as a pro, I played a ton, started, played second year was starting and playing. It was about mid-year and we're going up to Hershey. We, we bus up there, ultimately go out for the game and I'm not in the lineup. So I was one of these very fortunate players that whose career had always been pretty successful and not had to maybe fight and grind as much to get into the squad. I just 
was fortunate with the talent that I had that I was able to be selected a lot. So um, in this game, coach didn't pick me, right? And um, and I was on the sideline and I was upset and uh, I was a terrible teammate. I was my friend who played in front of me. Ultimately, you know, I was wishing a bad game upon him. Like I was, I was everything I don't want our players to be today. That was me. And, uh, and I just remember how ugly that was after the game, even though my faith wasn't super mature at that point in time and super developed, I just knew, golly, this is not how I would ever want to live and be as a person. And, you know, to this day, I'm the coach was a guy named Nuno Patera, awesome guy, great coach, good friend, you know he had every right to make the change. I was just so selfish that it was about me. So that was a real defining moment because I think it gave me an insight into what a lot of the players I coach today feel when I don't pick them to be in the lineup. And it, it's created an empathy that allows me to, to get to know, like I would say our program at the division one level in terms of relational depth, there's not too many out there that, that operate like us where the girls genuinely know their coaches and care about them, where the coaches genuinely know the players and care about them. And there's a, a real trust there. So for me, I think the empathy that I have having experienced what they've, you know, are going through, it allows us to connect and, you know, ho hopefully I can communicate to them in such a way like, Hey, you know, hang in there. I've been there. You got to keep working. You're a great player. Like, trying to encourage and affirm their positives so they don't ultimately respond like I did so many years ago. So that's a, it's an embarrassing finding moment, but it's, it's who I was. And thankfully it's not who I am anymore. And what I'm hoping is it's not who our players become either. Yeah. You know, and most defining moments have been defining moments that were not ones that ended up on a score sheet or in a championship banner. You know, it's been an injury. It's been being benched. It's been, you know, learning from this adversity. And, you know, and I look at my son who's, who's now facing some, some things at college that are very challenging and similarly not playing as much as, you know, he'd hope and, and probably thinks he should be. But the conversations we get to have in the midst of that are, are, I think, probably what he'll remember way more in life than the on-field experience, right? And, and even the conversation, being able to say to him, hey, what does it look like to lead and love well and be a great teammate when you're not doing as much as you think you should be doing on the field? Like, that's, that's where, man, you're going to grow so much as a human. And uh, I love that. I love hearing that. And I love, I love, that's why I love this question so much is because it's rare that it's been a good thing in the way the world defines good thing that is the most defining event for the different people that have been on the show. Paul, do you agree with that? A hundred percent. The way, the, the place my mind goes after hearing what you're saying and your defining moment is that I think there's too many coaches that are missing that opportunity to pour that back into their players. You know, like, like I know you're doing, like, I know there are a few coaches that are friends of ours around the country that, that work that way. And if, that I think coaches are missing that opportunity to help bring kids along through those moments, you know, and, and ultimately I think that's why, why I got into coaching was to, to be part of that growth and development. There's just too much, you know, focus on, on, on the winning and forgetting uh, that relationship piece, which, which I fully agree. And I think you probably would agree with me that relationship piece will, will help the winning part of it, right? You, you're fighting for each other. You're working for each other for a greater purpose. But I just said, our coaches that are listening, I just want to encourage you, like, you know, don't miss those opportunities to help players through those moments that you've probably been through. Don't like Kevin, you you don't ignore that defining moment. You look at it and say, how can I use that to, to best help my players to not be how I was. And, and I think yeah. that that's something that Marcy and I would always navigate as coaches is, okay, what are the, what are the lessons that I learned and how can I help these kids learn it faster than I did, right? To not go through the, all the pain that I went through to learn those lessons. Is that, is that somewhat accurate when you think of a coaching philosophy? Yeah, hundred percent. And for any of the coaches that haven't won anything yet that are chasing after the, uh, the almighty ship, so to speak, Winning's unfulfilling. I, and I learned it as a player and I've learned it as a coach. And, you know, many a championship have come and gone where it's like, 
those experiences are fleeting. You know, that night's great, uh, hanging out with your friends and, and celebrating is great. But, but in the end, you wake up the next day, and you're like, huh, that's it. Okay. That's pretty empty. Now, if you have a transcendent purpose, which is, you know, ultimately impacting lives for eternity and, and using a platform to glorify God in, in sport, well, then the championships carry so much more value because it's not, it's not about you. Uh, it's not empty anymore, but it's, it's for a bigger and better purpose. So yeah, without a, without a shadow of a doubt. And what we've experienced, at least at Lipscomb, is that the, the unity and connectedness we have on our team creates this wonderful, I mean, I can't quantify how much better it makes us than our talent, but it mm -hmm. makes us better. And then with any kind of success an individual has, it's shared throughout the team in, in a way that you don't find at a lot of play. Because, you know, when the all-conference awards come out, a lot of teams, it's, you know, it's, it's their top player and they get all the adulation and it's not really felt. And, and, and if something's felt, it's maybe animosity, you know, toward their teammate <laughs> where uh, I think if you model it well in your environment and you communicate well to your players, like, hey, there's no individual award uh, that is ever won without the help of the team. And, you know, as a coach, you've got to continue to put that front and center. Uh, so when these kind of things happen, it's a shared enjoyment. When a championship happens, it's it's a shared enjoyment. But yeah, the, the way you kicked it off, it's like, yeah, just winning for winning's sake is, is pretty unfulfilling and pretty empty. And don't chase after that. Any coach that's out there, you'd, you'd be foolish to chase after that because it's uh, it's going to let you down. 100%. We've had that conversation quite a bit on on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Some great, yep. great leaders. And I appreciate you echoing that because I think it's important that we continue to hear those things as as coaches and as leaders and as you know as, as parents as husbands wives whatever those are just important you know what are we, what are we striving for what are we going after are, are important and you know, can you talk a little bit about some of the coaches that you you had the pleasure to to play for and to and to to learn from and work alongside i'm going to put you on the spot and i'm going to make you name the best coach that you've ever had if no we'll put it that way but just talk talk us through you know I'll say who one, I know you had some great coaches because I know a lot of the guys that you've named. I know, I know who you've played for. I know who you worked alongside and it, that'd be a tough thing, but look, talk us through some of the best parts of some of those coaches and what made them things about them stand out. You talked about some of it with Charlotte, but what are some other things that, that stood out to you that, that you've kind of navigated more of your coaching style around and, and why and what, what lessons and, and from a leadership standpoint, you learn from some of these great coaches that you've been blessed to, to be around in your career. Yeah. And I didn't even go back to youth coaches or my own college coach. So, I mean, in, in the youth days, I played in Atlanta for a guy named Angus McAlpine, a, a Scottish coach. Oh my coach gosh. Had a lot of I didn't realize you played for Angus. That's a, that's a blast. Yeah. Fast. Wow. Yes. You know, even from those days, I remember his, uh, his approach was just so warm, you know, where I think, yeah. I go recruiting and I hear coaches just belittling and yelling and screaming and joystick coaching these, these girls. And I'm like, oh, my heart breaks for these kids because how can they play well when they are being coached like that? Where this youth coach of mine, just with the softest tones in his voice, would just explain the game to us. And it, it was beautiful. And then you move on to my college coach, Ralph Lundy, one of the, one of the greats out there. Uh, yeah. is an ex-Marine. And, and that guy was all business all the time. And the lessons I learned, I mean, I grew up quick, real quick my freshman year. I mean, I had some run-ins with Coach Lundy that just helped me realize, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta maybe, yeah, I gotta wise up, you know, cause, cause like maybe some of the kids these days, I thought I knew more than I did. And he was, he wasn't going to let that fly. So his kind of, discipline that he brought to the program was incredibly helpful and, and I think helped our team be successful. But then after that, you know, the Brett Simons of the world at Creighton, uh, again, more similar to an Angus, more of a, a, a player's coach that kind of connected with the players and uh, new system and, and ultimately style of play and could communicate it either through, um, video sessions or just on the, on the training ground was really, really impressive. Um, 
you know, Jeremy was probably more like my my college coach, Ralph Lundy, Jeremy John at Stanford. Really, he was an intense guy, but man, the the players played for him and they they were willing to give every ounce of energy to to the coach. And that was impressive. After that, there was a guy named uh, John Tart. I spent a little bit of time with at UNC Charlotte, similar to to Bretton and, and Angus, more of a warm man, more of a, a caring personality. And again, helped his team be successful through loving his players well and, 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 you know, treating them not as underlings, right? Cause soccer can be very transactional, right? At the, mm-hmm. any level club college, it's, Hey, you play for me. You do what I tell you to do. That's the end of the relationship. And, and what I've seen is, and what I would prefer are, are the coaches that are a little bit more, you know, transformational, if you will, like, Hey, I care about you as a person. I care about the team. Um, ergo, I'm going to help you develop because not only does it help you as a person, it helps the team. So those are the coaches that ultimately resonate with me and my own personal philosophy as I've, you know, became a head coach myself finally. And, uh, one guy I left off, I spent a, a stint at, yeah, I didn't talk about Paulson, but, but Matt Spear at Davidson, I was the associate head coach at Davidson. And, um, you know, he was a strategist, right? Like he, he was the kind of guy that would watch every war movie and he's going to play battleship. And he, he was all strategy based. And again, I, I took all these little pieces of all these coaches and, and kind of developed my own philosophy and, and they all had an impact, none more greater than the other, but all very influential in me figuring out, okay, this is how I want to do it. And, uh, and let me tell you this, I made a huge mistake my first couple of years as a head coach, trying to be those other guys, trying to do what they did and, and coach like they coached. And, and it wasn't successful because it wasn't authentic, right? And then finally, I'm like, gosh, I, I need to quit trying to be them and quit trying to impress with X's and O's and just be authentic to, to who God made me to be. And once I finally did that was really when I, I started to find some success and players that would actually want to play for me and, and work hard for the program. And, and that for me, you know, it's, I'm a bit long-winded here, is the most important piece. As you enter in uh, young coaches, old coaches that maybe are making the same mistake I made, that authenticity piece is massive for your players to to really know who you are, let the walls down, you know, quit trying to press them with with you know what you know about the game, but but really genuinely care about who they are and who they're becoming as people. And you're gonna get a whole heck of a lot more out of each of these boys and girls that are playing for you. Yeah, hundred percent it. You know, players are smart. They can they can tell for the most part, when you're, when you're being true to who you are and when you're not, you know, cause you're just, yeah. when you're trying to be something you're not, there's just too many holes in it that people can, can pick up on. And I hear that a lot and guilty of it myself, trying to be, you know, the coach that I, I thought was the, the great coach and try to be that and not realizing, you know, what you're saying exactly, taking the pieces that, you know, that I, I loved and, and disallowing things I didn't like and making it who I am as my coach so I could be the best coach that I could be. That suits my personality and how God's wired me, and uh, I love that. It's it's amazing how many how many amazing coaches you've had. Really, all of us, really, but you specifically today. The the number of just great coaches you've had, and how different a lot of their personalities really really are. I mean, even the difference between Lundy and Polson, who are mentor mentee of each other, even, and the difference between those two and their coaching styles. And Polson played for Lundy, you know, just just that is a, is a dramatic shift <laughs> too. So it's awesome. I love it. I think it should be encouraging to, to coaches that like, Hey, maybe, maybe feel that of like, Hey, I'm not good enough because I'm not that person. No, it's, that's not it at all. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to that. And I, I love hearing even going back to the, the, where you're talking about that the championships are not, they're, they're not going to fulfill you. They're not going to bring you that, that, that purpose, that, that wholeness that you're, that you're searching for. And that comes from a guy, you know, we, we often hear that, but oftentimes those people haven't won like you've won, you know, they, they, they haven't experienced that at that level. You know, maybe they've, they've won when they were a kid or something. And it was like, yeah, well, but if you won something bigger, 
But yeah, you, when you win, you realize that. And then or when you succeed something that you thought you were going to, to, to be able to say about coaching and, hey, I've, I've brought in all these different people. You've, you've been with, played for, coached with some amazing, incredible coaches that, you know, we've talked about on, on the show. We've talked about, you see their names on the things at United Soccer Coaches Conventions, right? These are people who, you know, it is easy to say that. And, and the kids nowadays, it's great for a coach to say that and to be able to pour that into the kids about, hey, look, I've done this. I get it when you watch these videos and you try to be players that you're not. You try to be something. You try to do something because so-and-so did it or they did this or they did that. And you're trying to all these moves. You're trying this. And you might not be made to be that. You aren't made to be that player because you're not them. You're made to be you. And you are made to be the player that God created you to be and to do the things that you can do with excellence and not just on the field, but off the field. And so there's so much comparison going on today, even more so than when we were kids because of social media, because of just the, the culture. And so to be able to have that message for how you coach even and that vulnerability and, and that trust that's built in the midst of that vulnerability and that transparency and that authenticity, as you talked about. I love hearing that. I mean, I've, I've said this about a, a few people we've interviewed, but, you know, I think one of the biggest compliments I could pay you is I'd love for my kid to play for you. And I act, I absolutely would, you know, and, and that's something that when I, I, I strive for that in, in my coaching even is to have people look and go, I don't want my kid to play for him, you know, and, and what does that look like? It, it's way more than soccer. It's not about soccer at all, really. Like there's lots of people who know the game. And there's a lot of coaches who don't know the game that well, but there's to, to know people and to actually study people and to study who they are and how they're wired and how they are driven and how we can motivate them to be the best human beings they can be. That's what I hear out of you. And that's what I love hearing. Anything to add after Paul and I just went on our little monologues because we're passionate about this stuff. Well, I mean, it's a great compliment. So thank you for saying that. And, and I was given that advice years ago, once I became a father, it was coach your players like you'd want someone coaching your daughter. And to your point, it has zero to do with soccer. Like I want them to care about her heart. I want them to care uh, about who she's become. And I want them to, yeah, of course, keep her accountable to the standard of play and expectation. Like those things are great, but more importantly, I want, yeah, I don't want a coach to, to demeanor or degrade her and to say something at 16 that she's going to carry till she's 46. Cause it happens guys. It's crazy. Um, yeah. uh, we've got multiple transfers in our program from other schools where they have been wounded, uh, by coaches and what they've said. And, and they're going to carry those for a while until ultimately, hopefully the Lord releases them of that pain. But it's, it's pretty, it's sad, obviously, that as coaches, we can have that kind of negative effect on the players that we're, we're coaching. But boy, does that give us a whole lot of responsibility to, to try to do it the right way. So yeah, that, that would be all I'd piggyback to what you had to say, Phil. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have a, a few more questions. We do need to move on as much as I'd love to talk more about this because this is, that is my heart. That is my heart. But the next thing we like to talk about, you know, you've been part of this game a long time. You played as a kid. You played in college. You played pro. You coached a bunch of different places with a bunch of different amazing people. And you have kids. And so you've seen that youth sports has changed quite a bit since you were playing. What do you really like about the current state? of soccer in the U S you know, including at the youth ranks and what are some things that, uh, you wish you could change or maybe go back to in the current, uh, the current state. Okay. And I'll start with the likes. I mean, I like that kids are, especially the high level kids these days are, are really challenging themselves and, and doing what the rest of the world is and going to Europe, going abroad, really, uh, ultimately putting themselves in an environment that's going to, challenge them because you know for us as a as a country to be successful at the highest level the world cup level the more players that more of our elite players that are doing that the better you know the the more we kind of trend in that direction i think it'll help us create better teams now 
what also could help us create a better team is, is accessibility. So something I don't like, apart from the MLS academies, which there's, you know, there's some out there, but just kind of the cost to play for, for what could be some phenomenal players uh, that the U.S. could create. They just don't have access because they can't afford it. And if we could get more of these big clubs who are bringing in big dollars to subsidize the game for underprivileged boys and girls to be involved, it would help tremendously. Uh, it'd help our national teams. It would help those clubs in terms of diversity. I think it'd just be great for the sport because at the moment it is too upper middle class for me and uh, I would love to see it changed. Yeah, you're not alone on that. You're not alone on that. I mean, I think that there's so much to the accessibility. It's not just, and we've learned this even with Tim Ryerson talking about get on the bus with the idea of even if they can afford it, they might not be able to get there because they live far away from the teams that are going to get them to the next level. And even just having five kids myself and being in ministry, if it weren't for scholarships, but a lot of the clubs don't give them, you know, and, uh, you know, and so it's, it's hard to find those places for your kid to play and to be able to play at that level and not go bankrupt, you know, and not just from a bankrupt from a, and also I think the accessibility from the standpoint of families who, who want to connect and be together a lot. And so some of these clubs are practicing four nights a week, five nights a week with films and this and that at 12 years old. And you go, you know, don't allow you to play other sports, don't allow you to do other things. And you start looking at it going, man, if you want to play at that highest level, you got to sacrifice so much at such a young age. These kids are like, I don't want to do it. Well, then they get, you know, then you, maybe you are blackballed from that club. And there's so much going on in that, that is just so against developing the kids to be the best, not just players, but people they can be to learn these lessons from the game that we talk about here that we've been able to learn. And that, that's such a frustrating thing to me. And, and I don't know, have you seen that at the college level? Some of the, I mean, you've seen probably the burnout that you've probably been recruiting some girls who probably say, no, I'm done or girls at that level. But have you seen that kind of that idea of that tension, whether it's at the youth level or even at, you're seeing that as they come play for you? Yeah. And you see it a lot with, um, in the recruiting process as well, you know, kids will transfer because, you know, ultimately they have just kind of hit a wall or in women's soccer, a lot of girls that'll just become students. They've spent their entire life from, you know, six, seven years old, they get in, uh, you know, to, to college on a soccer scholarship or soccer opportunity. And, you know, they just kind of the demand and the rigor uh, of what college coaches are expecting is just too much. And they're like, gosh, you know what? I think this will be it. So yeah, yeah, I don't see it as much in the, in the club level because I'm spending so much time at the, at the college level, but yeah, yeah you're, you're seeing burnout. It's, it's real. That's for sure. Yeah. Sadly, I recently had heard a story from a player that a club director had, had basically told a 14 year old, 13 year old that it was time to make a decision and and commit to the soccer process and if not she was going to miss an opportunity to play collegiately i affirmed yeah. i affirmed her that that was not true and <laughs> she'd be okay a little bit longer and uh, mainly for family reasons the family wasn't willing to sacrifice the time to do it at mm -hmm. that time and i said hey you the family's first man like you got to take yeah. care of that first and then when it's the right time for your family then it'll be there and you know, but they're just those types of lessons that are being told to kids because they need the players, they need retention, they need the money for the club. It's just not, it's not truth. And, uh, it's just harming families. And I think to encourage families that maybe you're hearing this, Hey, figure out what your family priorities are and then fit everything else into that. Don't figure out, don't try to figure out what your soccer priority is and then fit your family into it. I think you'll be disappointed. And, uh, just, I think, I, I feel like we'd miss an opportunity if I don't say that, because I think there's too much of that going on. It's like, Hey, your, your family is first. That's what you've got to take care of. Don't fit soccer into it. I mean, don't fit your family into soccer, fit soccer or whatever sport into, into your family. Cause that's ultimately, and I'm a soccer family. So <laughs> I could preach, yeah. I think I could preach that, but yeah, so I hundred percent on board, um, 
with you there, Kevin, with, with what we're seeing in our, in our, in our communities and our country when it comes to, you know, the soccer culture. All right. Well, there's always a couple of questions we ask every guest, Kevin, and, and, you know, you will now be part of that, um, for sure. But how, how have you used the lessons you've learned directly from the game of soccer in your, your marriage and in, and in parenting? Like what, what are the, what are the lessons from the game that you, that you carry over into, into your family? Ooh, uh, that's a really good question. You know, for me, I think, um, I think, I think the service piece, you know, that, that ultimately you need to be successful as a, as a husband, uh, of your, your wife, when you're trying to, you know, trying to raise kids together, um, you know, putting, putting her needs first, uh, you know, those things ultimately they transcend relationships, right? So you, you, you want to do that with your teammates and your, uh, coaching staff in the college level too. Other things that that ultimately I'm taking from soccer to family, um, yeah, just just caring about those you love. Because I've got two kids, right, and they're both soccer players as well. And I can very easily make the mistake of being soccer coach instead of dad. And I've made that mistake on several occasions. I've gotten much better as they've gotten older to just be dad, and, and that would be. Uh, my advice to to any parent out there who's a professional coach or a you know a full time coach and you know the game and you know what your kids are doing poorly, kind of keep that to yourself until they ask for it. Because um, I I you know put my foot in my mouth a couple times and killed the the spirit of the car ride home, killed the spirit of the family dinner, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like in the end. I don't care about soccer. I care about these kids growing up and being uh, great human beings when they leave our our house at 18 years old. So why would I, why would I make it messy? So I would say, yeah, don't be a coach in your, the four walls of your home. Just be a loving husband, a loving father. And, uh, you know, if a point in time comes, like my daughter's 16 and she's you know, starting to get recruited. If she comes to me for advice, I'm here. But what I don't actively do is try to tell her what she needs to be doing. Otherwise, that's just going to create tension in our relationship. And I'm like, it's not worth it. So that would be advice to to uh, to parents out there for sure. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. advice. Yeah. Yeah, always navigating that with, you know, with my own kids. And I think half the time they don't, they don't really believe that we know what we're talking about anyway, but, uh, but, but asking questions, right? Like, Hey, what do you, what do you think? You know, mm-hmm. you know, and trying not to be, uh, you know, I know it all in it, but just like you said, I mean, it's great wisdom there just to sit back and be the dad, you know, let yeah. we, we, we've tried really hard to let other people be their coaches and, and, and probably have been intentional about not coaching them a lot because it's, it'd be too easy to just step hardcore into that coach mode all the time. Have you, have you coached your own kids, Kevin? I did at the younger ages at, uh, U 12 and U 13. Um, and actually enjoyed it. And actually, uh, I really, for me, it was time in the car with them to and from practice, singing songs together, having fun. Um, it hadn't really hit that uber competitive, uh, you know, level yet. So I did and and I enjoyed it. I, I made the conscious decision to not do it as they moved 14, 15, 16, kind of in that more, you know, as you get into that recruitable age and the, the game gets a little bit more intense and competitive. Uh, I, I intentionally took myself out of it, but if I had to do it all over again, guys, I would, I would do it at the youngest age because I, yeah, this is just my two cents. I don't know what uh, clubs are like in Texas and California, but I, I feel like the clubs, at least in, in Tennessee, it's far more results-based uh, at an early age where their technical ability takes a hit. And I'm like, man, if I could do it all over again at, at six, seven, eight, nine, I would just be pounding them with technical training and, and getting them to have mastery of the ball. So then it, 11, 12, 13, they're not playing catch up. And I think that's something that 
you know, a lot of clubs kind of get wrong. They put their best players with the highest, oldest, most competitive kind of U14, 15, 16, 17 teams. And I'm like, man, put your best coaches at U8 and U7 and U9 and, and get the players way more advanced than, than they are, at least, at least in our neck of the woods. I'd agree with that. Yeah, and, and also, I think a lot of times the technical, the best, most technical coaches aren't the best people coaches. And so what oftentimes the kids need at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 are the people coaches that are going to be able to help them understand, you know, the people side of the game as well and, and life lessons and those things. Because how many of those kids are going to go on and play in college? We know the stats. It's not a huge number, even at the, the better clubs, and how many are going to continue playing. But of those who are going to end up being mothers, fathers, parent, you know, husbands, wives, it's going to be a much higher percentage, right? So those are the things that I look at, you know, when we're talking about this. And yes, of course, you still need the technicals. Of course, you still need the tactical. Of course, you still need the soccer side. But I think we get it backwards. And I've seen that a lot of times where those technical coaches continue with the team on for their, you know, time for the, the smaller clubs that don't have different coaches every, every couple of years. And they tend to lose the teams more and more as it gets closer to the, to the graduating time. So totally, totally agree with, with that, with that need at the younger age. Although I will say I did try to coach my daughter when she was four and I wouldn't recommend that for someone with the lack of patience that I have. I lasted about a half an hour with that team. And then I brought on the guy who was a saint in my mind, Mark Sheldon, Mark, if you're listening, he's still a good friend. And he played princesses in the castle with the kids and he hung out with them and had a blast with them. And, and I was like, man, I wish I could have done that. I didn't think about that part, but he was just awesome with them and loved it. And my daughter still loves the game. And I, I do attribute a lot to that, just keeping it fun. But he also taught the game in the midst of it too, which was really cool. So yeah, I, uh, I, I love that. I love that. Just stay involved, but do it in a way that works. And I will say that for us, you know, Parent, if you are at a place where you did play in college, where your spouse played in college, where you know the game really well, whether your kids admit it or not, they know that and they will ask if they want to know. And I will say my son now in college is reaching out and saying, hey, did you watch the game? And then I say, yeah. And then I wait for the next text. What did you think? And then I answer and tell him what I thought. And, and he, we have really good conversations about it. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's, you know, critical of some of the things, but most of the time it's, you know, letting him come out with the critical and either agreeing with it or, or bring in the other side of it. Cause he's, cause I know him too. And he tends to go to the critical. So anyway, those are things that they know that we know they'll ask if they want to know. Otherwise just be a, be a, be a dad, you know, be a mom. If you're listening and you're a, and you're a mom. So, all right. Yeah, we could go on and on. We could go on for hours, no doubt. But we do have to come to an end and we do think, say that on this show that most good things, we have said all, but I'm going to say most good things come to an end um, because uh, our eternal home will never come to an end. So that's a good little, you know, thing there. But uh, what have you watched, read, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how soccer explains life and leadership? Man, I watched a lot you know what i love watching are like the the amazon prime all or nothing you know with man city mm -hmm. and, and arsenal i i always glean so much from those kind of even the uh, uh what's the wrexham one uh welcome to wrexham welcome like, to wrexham yeah yeah I, you know i love i love that there's so much of that now uh being streamed so you know i'll watch that kind of stuff just to to steal whatever I can from those top, top level coaches or clubs or environments in terms of what podcasting or reading, you know, I know you've had Becky on like what drives winning. I mean, those, those guys are incredible. So I'm always mm -hmm. trying to steal great stuff from them. There's a high performance podcast that I listen to a whole lot. It's a couple English guys that, that have different, you know, pro sports or F1 drivers or you name it. And, and those are always fantastic. Or it's a, you know, it's a, a great pastor like Craig Rochelle or Alistair mm -hmm. Begg or shoot, even John Maxwell, ex-pastor himself. Like anything leadership soccer that I can 
take in. I, I gobble it up. I, I think great leaders, great coaches have to have a, a real appetite to develop, you know, and, and not think that they've ever arrived or achieved, you know, a, a certain level. So for me, you know, 50 years old now, uh, and I feel like, man, there's so much more I can still learn and there's so much I want to learn. And it's not even just from older people. You know, yeah. I, I've got younger assistant coaches that have such great wisdom. And, and that oftentimes is more about culture than anything. So I am, yeah. uh, I am using their reverse mentors. They're mentoring me on life uh, of a 20 of a something or a teenager. <laughs> and it's been phenomenal. Now, a lot of old school coaches would say, you know what, I'm, I don't get their generation. They're, you know, not worth investing in. They don't work hard. You know, they're going to say, they're going to say those things. I'm like, no, these kids are great. We just got to figure out what makes them tick and then uh, hit them where it counts and, and, and really impact their heart in such a way that they want to play for us, that they want to uh, play for their teammates, that they can give us what we need. We just got to speak their language versus thinking that they're from another planet. That's to all your old listeners out there like myself. And yes. uh, yeah, it, it's great to be around younger coaches that can, you know, help, help you see the world uh, as it really is and, and not as it was when you were 20. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I agree with that. I like how you got louder when you said this is for the older coaches. Yes. They're hearing <laughs> a little off. <laughs> That's a real thing, Paul. It's a real thing. The The hearing loss is not something I, I'm enjoying. You know, everyone, my wife says, didn't you hear that? I go, no, I, I actually did not hear uh, whatever you're talking about that I was supposed to hear. And it's not fun, but I appreciate it's not selective. You you're saying it's not it selective listening anymore. It may be. It's actually it not be. listening. It may be a combination, but I, I am getting to the point now where I'm like, I think I actually need a hearing test. And I was hoping I'd never have to say that in my life, but I do appreciate that. Yeah. That saying it louder. So, well, Kevin, thank you so much for not just taking the time today, but doing what you're doing there at Lipscomb. I I'm encouraged to, to just even hear how you're speaking about it. Cause it's what we talk about on this show. It, it's so much more than soccer. And I know that you know that, and I love that there are you know, at least 20 something girls every year learning that from you and, and your staff. And, and, uh, I just appreciate you a ton. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. It's been a, a real joy to be on with you. Yep. All right, folks. Appreciate well, it, Kevin. Well, thanks again for, uh, for your time. Thank you again for your download and just for taking the time to listen and engage the conversation that we get to have on this show. All the things we talked about on this show will be available on the show notes. And uh, if you want to learn more about Warrior Way with uh, Paul and Marcy, what they're doing there, you even have time to give a year-end gift. If you're listening before the end of the year, you can go do that there at the link we put there. Uh, if you want to learn more about what we're doing at Providence World and coaching the bigger game and all of that and the disc training that we do, you can get the link for that at uh, the show notes as well. HowSoccerExplainsLeadership.com. You can find it all there. As always, folks, we hope that you take what you're learning from this show and you use it to be a better parent, be a better spouse, be a better coach, be a better friend, be a better leader in all that you do. And continually remind yourself that soccer does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple of weeks.